All right, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. Thank you so much for praying for the pastor's conference. It was a beautiful week. Uh, the Lord moved in powerful ways. God's Spirit was working in hearts and lives, and uh, it was just a blessing. 1 John chapter 2. Remember, John is writing this letter to assure believers of their salvation so that they can go deeper in their relationship with Jesus. And the very idea that we need to go deeper with Jesus, it defines our relationship with the Lord as a progression, something we grow in. We don't get saved and that's the end. It's a process. But you may have noticed Christians don't all have the same story of growth, do we? No, we all have different growth arcs. And the reason that we have different growth arcs as Christians is because there is opposition to our growth. Remember how John explained that our world is a paradox, where he explained that Jesus has come and he's shining his light. We've gotten saved, but the realm of sin and evil is still out there, even though it's passing away. So there's opposition. We have opposition from the world. We have opposition from the enemy. We have opposition from our own flesh, the enemy within. So we all are growing in different ways and in different stages because we're all facing our opposition differently, right? Right? So as John is giving us assurance of our salvation, showing us, hey, are you somewhere on that progress of growth? Well, then, hey, know that the Lord's working, know that you're his, and move forward, keep going deeper. As John is seeking to assure our hearts, he's been showing us that we do so by examining ourselves against three tests. We looked at the obedience test, we looked at the love test, and before John gets to the third test, he's going to set it up. He's going to define the system of thinking and living that's opposed to God, and he's going to warn us not to love it, because loving the world does keep us from going deeper with Jesus. So 1 John chapter 2, let's read verses 15 through 17, and then we'll dig into our study. John says in verse 215, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. John starts off with a clear statement, a clear command. You must stop loving the world. I know it says love the world, but it's, in, in a, it's a present concept here, the idea you've been doing something and you need to stop doing it. You must stop loving the world and you must stop loving the things that are in the world. Now, this word for love is agape, which is strange to think that we could agape the world. But that word agape refers to unconditional devotion, to hold something as precious it describes the devotion our God has toward us, and it describes the devotion we're to have for Jesus and for each other. I must stop being devoted to the world like I'm supposed to be devoted to Jesus and to others. Now, we do need to define what is the world. Well, the world is not a globe. It's not like if you're a Christian, you need to get rid of all depictions of the planet Earth in your house. The word here for the for the world, it refers to the systems, the practices, the standards that are associated with secular society. 
So John isn't referring to the physical planet called the earth or any of the beautiful things that God created on the planet. There's nothing evil about appreciating God's creation, enjoying nature or the universe. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, When I was first introduced to the game of golf, I certainly didn't keep going back because I was good at it. But one of the things I loved about it was that because I was so bad. I got plenty of time to just hang out in this little oasis in the middle of every, all, everyday life, buildings and everything. You'd be out there and you'd see this beautiful contoured hole that was right in there in the middle of God's beautiful creation. I loved it. I loved it. Everything just kind of slowed down and everything was non-stressful except for trying to hit the ball. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the creation that God has made. John also, when he talks about the world, he's not referring to the people on the planet because the Scriptures command us to love people, even our enemies. So being devoted to people is not a bad thing. Obviously, being devoted to a person or holding them as precious, that does become a problem when I'm devoted to them to the point that I'm willing to rebel against the Lord for them. But that's not what God's talking about here. I love how Vincent, the great Greek scholar, put it. He said, The world refers to the sum total of human life in the ordered world that is considered apart from and alienated from and hostile to God. That's what he's talking about. It it refers to the earthly things which seduce from God. Trench put it this way. He said, it is the floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale that is in rebellion to God. We are currently living in a very openly immoral culture. That immorality is the result of thinking that is in rebellion to God. There are many in our society who are pushing against this immorality in our culture, but they are still in rebellion to God. So speaking to preserve the sexual innocence and purity of our children may be moral, but that person can still shake their fist at God's call to repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. They're not going to be saved or they're not something that I should be allowing to pull me into its circle to be devoted to if they're doing those things that are moral in rebellion to God. Do not or you must stop being devoted to the world. You must stop also, he says, being devoted to the things that are in the world. What are the things that are in the world? This word means any entity, event, state of being or behavior that's in rebellion to God. We must stop devoting ourselves to every approach of, to life that is in rebellion to God, to any entity, event, or state of existence that is framed by a mindset that is rebe- in rebellion to God. Now, note, John is not saying that we must detach ourselves from existing with the world. John is the one who recorded the prayer we read in our Scripture reading. When Jesus said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. My prayer is that you sanctify them from the world. And Lord, do it through your truth. Your word is truth. And we'll get back to that in a second. The idea is not that we detach from the world, that we hunker and bunker down into our own little society. That's not what Jesus says. He sent us into the world to make disciples. When I worked for Orange County Public Schools as a a school kitchen manager, I I loved my job. I loved that I got to serve kids. I got to hang out with them every day. Sometimes they drove me nuts, but most of the time I I loved it. 
And there were people in the organization that had great motives. Like they just wanted to care for kids. They wanted to strengthen families. They wanted to be a support system for families. They had great motives. And there were people in there, they were looking to get ahead. They were looking to run for office someday. They had all sorts of agendas. There were people who were corrupt and there were people who were so just cared about the kids and it was all about them. But as much as I liked my job and I wanted to serve those kids, I couldn't get wrapped up in that entity. OCPS is not going to last forever. And there are a lot of things that are in that system that are in rebellion to God, no matter how well-meaning. And so it's not that we don't have jobs. You say, well, how can I be in the world and not of it? I mean, I need to, I need to have work. You're right, you do need to work. But what are you devoted to? Are you so devoted to that job or the people at that job or the idea or the goals of that job, that that's the thing that kind of governs your life? That's, as we'll see in a second, incompatible with going deeper with Jesus. So John's not saying we need to detach. We're to exist in the world, but we're not allowed the world to squish us into its mold. Paul, in that great chapter 12 of Romans, when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, it means to don't let the world squish you into its mold, but instead be transformed. Like we just sang, if the cross is that's what brings transformation, then Lord, I'll be crucified with you. Don't let the world squish you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might show what is that good and acceptable and pleasing will of God. God's will, what pleases him, is found in his word. That's why when you read John 17 in that prayer that Jesus is praying, he says, Lord, I'm not praying to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one, sanctify them, set them apart while they're in the world. But he says over and over again, it's through the word of God. That's what sets us apart. God's word communicates what God is like and what God wants. And when we let God's word shape us into Jesus' image, God's word sets us apart while we coexist with the world, while we go into the world and we make disciples of all men. So instead of being devoted to an approach to life that's in rebellion to God, I'm to devote myself to Jesus and to his word. And that enables me to grow despite all the pressure the world brings to bear to squeeze me into its mold. And so right here at the get-go of this topic, I ask you if you find yourself, your growth as a Christian seeming stunted or, or you keep running into a wall, you do need to ask yourself a question, a couple questions. Where am I devoted to an idea or an entity or an event or a mindset that's in rebellion to God? Where is that going on in my life? Because John says, I can't love the Father and love a rebellious approach to life. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Stop being devoted to that because he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I've said this quite a bit in 1 John because John uses this tool a lot, but there are four ways that you can say an if-then statement in the New Testament language. This one is the third way you can say it. It's the clause of greater probability. In other words, John is expecting that some of his listeners will meet the conditions of this description. You know, he's not saying if this is the case, but it's probably not. He's saying if this is the case, and it probably is for some of you who are reading my letter. That's what he's saying. 
Now, if that's the case, then it would be very unlikely that no one in our church fits this description, which means that all of us must be open to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us here. He says, guys, if any man love the world, if any man literally means should keep on being devoted to the world. Listen, John's not describing the individual who you're in the middle of, of battling a wrong, a wrong mindset that the Holy Spirit's revealed. He's not talking to you here. You know, if you're, you, the Holy Spirit's been like, Will, you've got a wrong attitude. It's just the world has infiltrated your mind. I need you to, to get in the word and renew your mind and change. And you're in the middle of that battle. He's not talking about you. What he's talking about is the individual who's trucking down the path where the world's gotten into your head and you got no intentions of turning around. He says, if any man should keep on being devoted to the world, he says, the love of the Father's not in you. Now, there are many reasons we could be on a path like that. Where we're just trucking down the road and we've got a worldly mindset. We've devoted ourselves to a worldly entity or a worldly state of affairs. We've got a, a worldly way of doing par parenting or marriage or, or Christianity or church life or work life. There are multiple reasons that we could be on a path like that. It, it could be out of a stubborn refusal to admit that our mindset is wrong. We're all born with different challenges. I've, I, you know, I would tell people who have kids, I'm like, all your kids are different. The, what worked with one may not work with another because they're not the same person. The principle's the same, but the tactics might be different. I had one child, I could just look at them and they start crying, they repent. I had another one who would look me straight in the eye and you'd think like, man, I'm staring at the devil. <laughs> I had to be like, we're gonna talk and I'm gonna say it again and again and again and again because I know after I say it the first time, you're gonna go back and you're gonna be like, okay, dad, go right and do it again. They're all different. My, I was born with, with the unique struggle. I had lots of struggles, but the unique struggle of a warped sense of justice. I would look and view things and be like, well, this is the way you do it, and this is the way you don't do it. And God forbid you ever do it the way you're not supposed to do it, because I would let you have it. It'd be like, yeah, but you know, you, you know where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Right out there. <laughs> not here. And when I got saved, and I brought that warped sense, that worldly mindset, this warped sense of justice, you know, I started realizing my need for mercy, and finally the Lord started bringing scriptures to my attention. What about everybody else, Will? You want mercy. You want me to be merciful to you. You want me to be understanding and gracious with you. Well, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I thought, dear God, what have I done? I held on to that stubborn concept. You know, I, it's still a struggle at times. I mean, not near as bad as before, but there's a struggle at times. But that's wrong. That's not fair. That's not right. The Lord's like, big deal. It's what it is, though. What are you going to do about it? Are you just not going to talk to them forever? You want me to not talk to you forever? Whew. No, Lord, I, I need mercy. All right. So forget about justice. Let's go fix the relationship. Let's go be gracious. Let's go be like Jesus. Get out of that wrong mindset, worldly mindset. Maybe you got something like that going on in your head, but this, this has to be this way. Maybe your mindset's wrong. It's worldly, and you got to recognize that. It could be a stubborn refusal to get into God's Word, to let Him examine your mindset. I have 
frequently had, had people in my office and we're, we're talking and they're sharing their struggles and, and you know, this is where I'm, I'm struggling to grow and it seems like this just seems to be a repeated problem. I'm like, okay, well, this is what the Bible says is the solution to this. You need more of the word. Well, I read my Bible every day. Okay, well, you need to be in prayer more. I pray every day, all right? Well, you know, fellowship's important. I am in fellowship. And I'm, you know, at some point I just kind of look at them and go, well, whatever you're doing right now clearly isn't working. So you need more of it. If your solution is to stubbornly say, well, I'm already doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why isn't God doing his part? At some point, you got to look in the mirror and go, maybe I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. You can't just keep doing the same thing and expect that you're going to see different results. So maybe it could be your stubborn refusal to, to get into God's Word, to let Him examine your mindset, to not recognize that whatever you're doing right now ain't working. It might even be that you just don't care what God thinks about your mindset, or you just be like, I, I don't think it's that important. If any of those describe you this morning, and John says it's likely some of us will meet that description, then what John says next should get our attention, should get my attention. He says, if, if you keep on love being devoted to the world, if you should keep doing that, he says, the love of the Father is not in you. That's hardcore. He says the, the love of the Father means the love that comes out from the Father, it's not inside you. Now, Romans chapter 5 is such a cool chapter because, you know, Paul builds this argument in Romans 1 through 3 that we're all in sin, we all need a Savior. Then he introduces in chapter 3 and 4 the, the topic of justification, and he gives us examples of how that works. And then he gets to chapter 5, and he goes, therefore, being justified by faith, and he starts laying out all these blessings that we have, being justified with the Lord. He tells us when God justifies us, He gives us peace with Himself. He gives us access to even more grace so we can stand for Him. He gives us an expectant joy as we look forward to being with Him in glory. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, and God has shed abroad His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. God's love, when we're born again, His love is poured out from Him into our hearts. God's Spirit, who is love, He lives inside of us, and He fills us with His supernatural love that refuses to let us remain the same. And that love that He pours out into my heart, it becomes the ruling principle of my life. My Father loves me, Jesus loves me, and I love Him. That becomes like the thing that governs everything at that point. So, John says here, God's love can't be the ruling principle of your life if you persist in being devoted to the world. If you are persistent, persisting in being devoted to the world, he says you're not in a right relationship with God. Now you might say, wow, that's heavy, Will. Are you, are you preaching works? No, I'm not preaching works. You say, but I've asked Jesus to come into my heart. Or maybe you say, I've been in church for years. Or maybe even say, I've been in church my entire life. I understand that, but have you ever repented of your sins? You see, have you ever acknowledged why, why Jesus needs to come into your heart? One of the mistakes that Christian parents often make is they try to force a confession of faith from their children. As soon as possible, we've got to get them to pray the prayer. 
And we had had really good counsel and, and read a lot of good books on parenting that encouraged us to not do that, but to let them come to an awareness of their need for a Savior first. So deal with their sin, talk about their sin, and allow the Lord to bring the conviction of God's Spirit when they're old enough to understand that. And so, you know, for all of our our kids when they were young, they would, different ages, different times, because they're all different, right? They would come to that place where they would say things along this line, my heart is not clean. And we would explain why. Because you're a sinner. You're lost. You need to be found. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins. And if you'll confess your sins and you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll clean your heart out and he'll be born again. He'll give you a new life. And we leave it there. And after a few of those conversations with our kids, you know, eventually each of them, in their own time and in their own way, they would come to the place where they'd go, I don't want to have a, a yucky heart anymore. I want to have a clean heart. And most of them prayed the prayer on their own, just without me or Bev being there. And they, they prayed. They just went and they asked God, I said, God, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've rebelled against you. I know I'm lost, and I want to be found. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Will you give me a clean heart? Will you come and live in my heart instead? I remember one of my kids, I was in the shower, and they came running into the shower. Dad, 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 you know. What, what? (laughs) I've got a clean heart now. I'm so excited. I prayed, and God gave me a clean heart. That's great, son. Praise the Lord. Let me get a towel, and then we'll talk. (laughs) Very often, I think that we might might have... prayed a prayer, or we've just been in church, and we've just assumed that, well, I'm right with God, but we've never repented of our sins. We've never recognized why we need Jesus to come into our heart. You see, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we can't remain the same. You can't. It's impossible. Oh, you might be more stubborn than some of the other believers around you at times, but God's love, which is working in your heart, is constantly calling you to please him. And because we love him back, even when we're stubborn, even when, you know, we're we're fighting the Lord a little bit, because there's that love that's in our hearts, that's undergirding everything, that's the ruling principle of our lives, we don't want to fight him forever, even though the world is tugging at us hard. If you don't have that love for the Father, then you need to ask yourself if you have ever experienced the love of the Father being poured out into your heart? And if the answer is no, Will, I don't, I don't know if I've ever experienced that, the love of the Father. Well, then acknowledge you're still a part of the world, that you're in rebellion to God and repent of that. Trust Jesus that he died on the cross for your rebellion against God and, and all the sin that comes with it. And ask him to forgive you. Ask him to pour his love into you by his spirit. And if you do that, I promise you, Jesus will come in and he'll never leave. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He which has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, why is this worldly mindset? Why are the entities, the events, and the behaviors that result from this worldly mindset so bad? Well, verse 16 He says, for, here's why, for all that is in the world, 
He says it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And then he tells us what's in the world. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He says all that, which is a way of saying every single one, there's no exception, every single one of the entities, events, behaviors, states of existence, all of those that are in the world, all of those collectively fall under three wicked approaches to life, three wicked mindsets, three wicked ways of approaching life. He says the first one is the lust of the flesh. The word lust here, it means a craving or a deep desire for something that is morally wrong. So he says the first wicked approach to life that the world, all these things consist of in some way is they're based on a craving or a deep desire that comes from the flesh. Our flesh, it's our body appetites, our depraved body desires. The desire to physically gratify our body cravings. Now, our body cravings in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. There's nothing wrong with craving food. But when I step outside the boundaries God sets for me concerning food consumption, the craving becomes morally wrong. There's nothing wrong with craving sexual satisfaction. God designed us that way. But when I step outside the boundaries of the selfless, tender act of marriage, the craving becomes morally wrong. Now, the world mindset says, you got to feed that craving. I mean, if it's there, then you need to feed it. That's what it's there for. And it might even say, God's boundaries aren't fair, or they're not right, or they're not valuable, or they're not wise. Go feed that craving. John says, staying devoted to a mindset that refuses to yield that craving to God's character and God's standards, it's incompatible with going deeper with Jesus. It's going to get in the way. Secondly, the second wicked approach to life is the lust of the eyes. The eyes here refers to our depraved mental appetites. The eyes are the window to the soul. Some might say, well, I, I've never had an affair. I'd never even dream of doing that. Okay, but what about your thoughts? Do you fantasize about being with someone who's not your spouse? Do you flirt with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, never intending to act on it, but enjoying the mental stimulation that it brings? Some might say, well, I never engage in looking at pornography or the self-gratification that often follows. But are you constantly feeding your mind with the relational fantasies acted out on television or in novels or in music? And yet, lust of the eyes can be less sinister than that on the outside. It could be devotion to a craving of getting that gadget or that car or that house or that body shape or that facial look when the craving you have for those things is in rebellion to what God wants for your life. I've had things I've pursued in life that the Lord had to say, Will, what are you doing? Well, well Lord, I, I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah, but chasing that's going to keep you from chasing what I've called you to chase. It's going to keep you from chasing your wife and your kids and your calling. Why are you, why are you going after that? That's the lust of the eyes. John says, staying devoted to a mindset that refuses to yield those mental gratifications to God's character and God's standards, it's not compatible with going deeper with Jesus. 
And then the third one, he says here, the pride of life. This kind of pride is a boastful pride, a pretentious pride. It's, it's less about reality and more about perception. There's nothing wrong with being like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm good at this. I mean, if you're good at it, okay, that's great. But the idea is I want to be perceived as good at something. I want to perceive myself as good at something. It's about perception. Perception of self or the perception I want others to have of me. And it's a desire to be perceived, the pride that wants to be perceived in the realm of life. The word life here refers to one's livelihood, one's possessions, one's daily life. You see, this is the craving to be thought of as more spiritual, more important, more influential, more powerful, or more successful than others. Isn't it fascinating how we can just, you know, I, I worked in restaurants all of my young life, and I, I am amazed at what people could be prideful over. Do not mess with the queen of the salads. Don't mess with her, because that's her realm, and she's the only one who does it right, and don't do it wrong, or don't mess with the way she's doing it. I have, watched, I have watched people who have nothing be some of the most prideful people I've ever met because the point is, as long as I'm better than the guy who's sleeping in the tent next to me, that's all I care about. As long as people see me as better than the guy who's sleeping in the tent next to me, that's what I'm looking for. I love what David Goodzik said. He said, the idea behind the pride of life is someone who lives for superiority over others mostly by impressing others through outward appearances, even if by deception. If you're here this morning and your Christian walk is a wreck, and it's been a wreck for a while, but like your goal is to make sure nobody knows about that, that they just perceive you as being spiritual, that's the pride of life. That's a worldly mindset. Guys, if, if you are sharing with someone today that you're broken and your walk with the Lord is a mess, no one here is going to love you less. That's an excuse you're telling yourself because the true problem is pride. You want to be perceived as more than you are. And it's a wicked mindset. Don't wait till it's too late and your, if your walk is crashing, if your marriage is crashing, if your family's crashing, if your finances are crashing. Talk to somebody. Bring it into the light. Get help. Get a brother or sister or a group of brothers or sisters to come alongside you, hold you accountable, help you to know which way to go forward. Get counseling. Do whatever you need to do, but don't hide behind this concept of just, if people think I'm spiritual, that's what's most important. That's the pride of life. And you know, this craving doesn't have to be like big picture. I want to be known as the CEO of whatever or the, the best this or whatever. It could be the, the small desire, the seemingly insignificant desire to be the best or one of the best at a sport or a video game or your chosen career. It could be a devotion to any achievement, no matter how small, that causes you to place being known for that achievement above the greater responsibilities you have before God and to the other people in your life. 
Staying devoted to a mindset that refuses to yield those prideful gratifications to God's character and God's standards, it's not compatible with going deeper with Jesus. And the reasons, John says, that these three mindsets, they aren't compatible with going deeper with Jesus is because those mindsets, they don't originate from the Father. He says it is not of the Father, but it's of the world. We weren't created to be devoted to these things. These mindsets were created by a world in rebellion to God, and they have their root in the fall. You can read Genesis chapter 3 on your own time, but I just want to point out that... I chuckle when I read it because it's silly, but we do the same thing. When Eve looked at that fruit, she said this. When she saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. It's all right there. Lust of the flesh. It was good for food. Lust of the eyes. You know, it was desirable to look upon. Pride of life. If I eat this, I'll be superior to I was without eating it. That's where that came from. It didn't come from the Father. These mindsets were created by a world in rebellion to God. You see, the mindset that's in rebellion to God says if it feels right, it can't be wrong. But when you declare that something feels right and that's why it's right, you've immediately limited the scope of your information. Your decision is based now upon how an action or thought feels to you or a few people who share your feelings. That's it, that you've limited the scope of your information. And the truth is, all it takes to break your argument, because, well, I think I know this is right because it feels right, is one person who goes, doesn't feel right to me. Now you can't be right. The fact that even one person can feel differently means I can't be correct based on how something feels for me or a group of people. Here's the truth of the matter. This Bible is full of how God feels about things. And even if everybody else that you know agrees with you, if he doesn't, you can't be correct. Something can feel wonderful but be awful. People wouldn't engage in sexual sin if it didn't gratify a physical, mental, or prideful craving. We are tempted to let the world squish us into its mold because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life feels great. But if you've come to the Lord, you know that gratification never satisfies. That's the problem. Eventually, you need more and more and more, and then more is not enough. You need to heighten the gratification somehow. It's a sick cycle of never having enough and always craving more, and it enslaves us. Guys, do you know that we were not created to be slaves? That's not from the Father. It's of the world. God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from that enslavement. And so, while we live in this paradox where Jesus' light and life is in the world, It coexists with darkness and death and sin. But John closes with this thought. While it's a paradox now, it ain't going to stay that way. It is not going to stay that way. So we need to decide to live for what will last forever, not for what is going away. Look at verse 17. And the world passes away, or literally is being caused to pass away, and it's lust, the desires, all these the wrong wicked mindsets there, that's going to go away too. 
but he that does the will of God abides forever. Aren't you glad there's a day coming when God will put an end to all evil? Yeah. Aren't you glad there's a day coming when nothing and no one is going to try to squish me into a mold that's in rebellion against God? Aren't you glad there's a day coming when you will never have evil cravings again? Amen. Come quickly. All of those cravings and all of that pressure, it's on the way out. It's why the enemy is pushing so hard to get all the evil out in the open. He knows his time is short and he wants to deceive as many people as he can into joining his plan before the end comes. So guys, ladies, hold fast. I know the pressure's heavy. I know you've got ideas, especially if you're a young person. They're targeting you. I know that they're trying to squish you into a mold. Hold fast. I know the pull on our physical, mental, and prideful cravings is strong right now, but hold fast to the end because those who hold fast to the end are the ones who remain standing when it's all said and done. He says, that's passing away, but he that does the will of God, he that does, it means the one who keeps on doing, the one who practices what God wants, the one who, they have a consistent way of living for what God wants. That person, he says, abides forever, literally makes their home into the always of the forever. You know, John told us earlier in this chapter that if we're making Jesus our home, it's going to show up in our obedience to God and our love for others. John promises the person who keeps growing in that, you keep progressing in that, and making Jesus your home, you're going to end up making your home with the Lord for all eternity. That's his promise. As the worship team comes up to close us out, John's point is real clear before we get to this third test. He says, guys, I know somebody in this room, somebody reading this letter probably fits this description. Stop devoting yourself to the systems, the events, the behaviors, the states of being that are in rebellion to God in our world. Stop devoting yourself to that. All those things are dying. There's nothing to gain from devoting your life to those things. Stop devoting yourself to gratifying the physical, mental, and emotional cravings that are wicked, that are in rebellion to God. Whatever you gain from seeking to satisfy those cravings will be temporary and is dying. In the end, you will gain nothing. In contrast, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will what? You find it. You find life. In contrast to being devoted to the world and those cravings, he says there's everything to gain from devoting yourself to going deeper with Jesus. Let's all stand. Lord, we sang that song, Christ be magnified in me. And Lord, I know we meant it. But Lord, you know every heart that's here this morning. You know where we're at with you. And Lord, maybe there are some dear brothers and sisters this morning who have sensed They've let the, the tug of the world, they've let the, the world start to squish them into its mold in a certain area. And Lord, is there, you know, just confessing that, Lord, 
assure them that they're forgiven, assure them that you're working in, in their life. Lord, I pray for those who are already aware of things and they're in the battle. God, I pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit and empower them to be victorious as they, they take those stands and they continue to lay down those devotions to things that are opposed to you. But Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who's, Lord, your love's not in them. You're not in their heart, Lord. They've, maybe they've, they've hardened their heart to you or maybe they've never repented. Lord, I pray that you'd make that clear, that you'd reveal it by your Holy Spirit now. God, we need you. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you or is not right with you, Lord, we need you to do a supernatural work in them. God, let no one leave here today the same way they came in if they're not right with you. We give you our hearts, Lord, and we choose to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.